0: This is a special episode of The Letter, a podcast of Latin American literature and its performances in the United States, hosted by yours truly, the writers Mónica Ramón Ríos
1: and Carlos Lave,
0: speaking to you from the neighborhood of Clinton Hill on the occupied land of the Lenapehoking, now known as Brooklyn.
1: Here we are, 50 years after the coup that obstructed Salvador Allende and La Unidad Popular, on the occupied land of the Mapuche, Aymara, Rapanui, Licanantay, Quechua, Koya, Chango, Diaguita, Cahuéscar, and Yagán, now known as Chile. For a decades since you and I were born into a dictatorship, 33 years of commemorating the event that brought international attention to the cornered country of the Americas.
0: We know the facts, the history, the anniversary of the Chilean coup. The fall of arguably the first democratically elected Marxist government in the world is a meaningful moment globally. It is when an extreme form of capitalism was implanted by using extreme violence against the will of millions of people who were in search for a more equitable way of living via a Pacific social process. The thousands of people killed, tortured, and disappeared remain as a foundational trauma that defines Chile.
1: If 50 years later, the Coup of September 11 in Chile is still at the core of national history, what are the aesthetics, the words able to express that wound? Is there a recognizable narrative, maybe a genre of the coup, to talk about this collective trauma? In short, is Chilean literature able to verbalize the horror, the perplexity, the survival, and the Stockholm syndrome implied in the fact that this society kept existing and functioning over 50 years without closure, without justice?
0: Let me just emphasize there was a previous event that brought international attention to Chile and it was the democratic election of socialist President Salvador Allende. It is also his assassination by the army backed up by many factions of Chilean society, and by the United States, the event that is commemorated today. Once the military dictatorship ended in 1990, we have seen the emergence of a culture that has enshrined Allende and others, but especially Allende, as an icon for the politics of memory.
1: Since the 70s, as September approached, the cultural establishment in Chile discussed informally what was always a new attempt for the Big Book of Allende, the definitive novel of the coup, the last word regarding the stories of La Unidad Popular. The attempts have been numerous, but never a book of realistic, mainstream, elitist fiction was able to hit the nerve. No Dorfman, no Escármeta, no La Furcade, no Fontaine. No novel could retell the structures of feeling of 1973 no Parra, no Lin, no Tellier, no Zurita, could sing the song of 1973. And yes, the patriarchal overtones of this list of names are not just coincidence. And yes, there are many other authors, authorities, to be added to this list every year with a book that says on its jacket, something like this, the final account of Chile's decisive days.
0: The memory of the coup permeates Chilean society as a whole. And this is the challenge for literature, particularly as we remember how, despite the truth commissions, the social democratic governments and the insufficient justice, there are still many, many voices that have been forced to accept the fact of their silence and the fact that the bodies and stories of of their loved ones will never be recovered. We have learned to live within a massively tortured population. As readers, we have learned to expect that the best of our literature is a work of sublimation on the lost narratives.
1: When the 30 and 40 years of the coup were commemorated, writers were publishing about their childhood under dictatorship. In 2023, we have seen a surge of that as well. The themes are mainly about the blind spots of these children to see and react to the injustices happening everywhere. Nevertheless, new distinctions have also emerged. There are books being written about how the violence of the coup and its following regime was felt, actually felt, and became ingrained in the population and within language. Gladys González's recent volume is part of that move, for example. Lemebel, Diamela, Donoso, the Chilean Baroque triad, is another example of the volcanic depth of this unescapable wound. But there are other writers who are now coming forward about their complicity, known or unknown, with the privileges granted to their parents and families via the dictatorship. It is another kind of wound, and the stories of the sons and daughters of the Chilean right are muffled via literary devices. But still, one can read their provenance from military families or families of pacos, cops, that may sustain their current access to discursive power.
0: Let me interrupt and tell you a little story. Yesterday, Sunday, September 10, I went with an American lover to watch the newly restored version of Patricio Guzmán's La Batalla de Chile, the Battle of Chile, at our neighborhood film theater BAM. I thought it was a good ritual to commemorate September 11. I saw many people I know, other Chileans coming out from the previous screening. One of them was a school classmate. We used to practice field hockey together, me hating that after school practice so much, maybe even more than her, which never befitted my intellectual interests. This is another way to say she made me feel a little better during those terrible afternoons. But when our eyes met in Brooklyn, knowing we had originally gotten acquainted at an American school in Chile with a clear class mark and a clear political leaning towards the right. What I saw was shame and disavowment. uh, She saw me. She recognized me, of course, but she pretended she did not see me, unable to acknowledge her place of origin and the origin of her own privileges. It was shame I saw in her eyes. When I read new novels by Chilean authors who come from similar backgrounds, and there are a lot out there or from a middle class who worked for the rights project but who now identify as left-leaning, I read the aesthetic mark of that disavowment. In the 1980s, neo-baroque aesthetics was used by left-leaning writers living under the pressures of the dictatorship to avoid censorship. Today, writers use the polished language of mainstream realism to avoid history and the pressures exerted by hegemonic culture and the needs of the market.
1: This publication phenomenon, the events, exhibition, and performances have taken over Chile this year of the 50th anniversary of the fascist coup that installed state capitalism as the definition of Chile and its culture, and it has crossed borders. It is, in fact, a design strategy by the current government administration to support events that deal with the memory of dictatorship, including a film by Pablo Larraín that has populated the streets of Santiago, with a comic actor performing Pino- Pinochet. The numerous events happen in New York City as we speak, related to the coup, all featuring the line, the U.S.-backed coup, he was a key to the literature of Chile in 1973. The memory of the coup and the subsequent dictatorship is the main tragedy that put Chile and its artistic production on the world map as a collective force beyond individual figures. It is this fact that makes us legible.
0: It is also true that every new Chilean administration during the post-dictatorship has positioned itself around this issue, many of which, I might add, did this while blocking the access to real justice for the disappeared and their families. But the mark of the coup goes beyond that, and it is similar to the tragedies that mark other countries of the global south and their quote-unquote political tragedies that become a specific context from where to read our artistic production. Artistic practices become legible through a recourse to memory.
1: Uh, you mentioned the post-dictatorship, and to make it clear for our listeners, the post-dictadura is a concept that is used to describe not only the period after Pinochet handed the power over, but a period in which the legal power and economic structures of the capitalist dictatorship are, or were, still in place.
0: They are still in place, let us remember, via the Constitution.
1: Today the narratives of the coup go from the acceptable repressed, from the collectively elastic, from the proliferation of the biographical archive in generational autofiction, to the official history. It may be that half a century is too big a number. It might be a cabalistic effect, implying the number 50. But the display of this politics of memory by Boric's administration suggests that now it is convenient to write a historic intervention claiming the trauma is over. There are several political gestures, most of them a bit too late, that suggests the necessity of this government to be remembered in history as the one that finished the old building of the Chilean Library of Memory.
0: The institutionalization of the literature of the coup might also show a need to deflect the attention of the problems that this government faces. Hunger, climate crisis, deep social unrest, lack of a collective narrative that justifies the mere existence of the national state, most importantly, this is not only about the failure of a new constitutional process, but about the urgent needed to repress the memory of another significant plural history in the recent decades, the general revolt of October 18, 2019. This event that the mainstream is trying to rebrand in their words and stories as the Estallido social, the social breakdown or social outbreak, a translation that sounds not surprisingly too close to a virus outbreak. I prefer to say that the post-dictatorship didn't start in 1990 after Pinochet handed out his position as president. Do not forget that the Unidad Popular government was going to call on September 12, 1973 for a referendum to approve a Marxist constitution based on the universal rights of workers. Going a little further in time, the story of the Chilean post-dictatorship started with the general demonstrations that led to the ousting of the dictator because of his unpopularity.
1: The post-dictatorship can also be said to have finished with the 2019 revolt. If so, let's read the rumor of all those voices in the street, not as an underground current, but as the most persistent literature of the coup, every single Chilean literary collective since Pinochet, from La Unión de Escritores Jóvenes in the '70s, a la Novisima in the '2000s, from El Cada y las Yeguas y la Tribuno in the '60s, '70s and '80s, to Sangría y la Faunita, a la Red de Escritoras in the '2010s, all of them are graffiti's in the wall of the old building of the Chilean Library of the coup which comprises all the big names that every year publish quotes the best book about the Pinochet years.
0: It is important to mention all of this to understand the multiple commemorations that are happening today in New York City and around the world. Many of them are sponsored by the closed walls of academia. Others happen in the small communities of Chilean political and economic exiles. After watching Patricio Guzman's The Battle of Chile, understand how different it was to watch it in those DVDs we had when we were still in Chile, this experience was different. I understand watching this now as a necessary ritual to divest the hegemonic powers of the narratives of memory and remind us how we inhabit the ethical call made by Lottie Rosenfeld and the Amelaltid when they painted Nunca Mas, Never Again in the Streets of Chile in the 80s. Or how we have failed to do so by again handing over memory to a marketable brand that allows portage to dress up with Allende's glasses without ever attempting what Allende attempted in the 70s, which is to end neo-colonial rule and change the economic structure of a country with precarized masses in a world of monolithic capitalism at war with difference.
1: This special episode of The Letter Podcast has been our own ritual to never forget and to live in a place made of places with no violence, with no coup, with no dictator that presides by force our narratives, but made of many stories that sing the beauty of a land that welcomes everybody who corresponds them back.
0: This special episode of The Letter Podcast was recorded on September 11, 2023, Para Que Nunca Más. For us to live in that moment of complete potentiality and to manifest the fuerza written into our lives and books.